Welcome to the Coming Clean Podcast with your host, Peter O. For over 25 years, entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO Peter O. Estevez has built businesses all over the world, and today he shares his experiences, failures, and successes along the side of some of the most sought-after thought leaders to help you pave your way to success. Please welcome to the show your host, Peter O. Estevez. Hello and welcome to the episode of Coming Clean Podcast. This is your host, Peter O. Estevez. Thank you for being here with us today. And today we have none other than Mr. Coot Blackson. Coot is a best-selling author. He's a transformational expert. He is born the son of the miracle men of Ghana. He is known for being able to speak to hundreds of thousands of people at the age of 14 years old. He was an ordained minister at the age of 14. And today... He is the author of his new book, The Magic to Surrender. Hello, Kud, and welcome to Coming Clean Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. You know, um, you have an incredible journey. You have been a very gifted individual at a very young age. One of the things that really inspired me about your story is how as a young boy living in the back of your father's church, I'm quoting you as a fat little young boy. (laughs) (laughs) You used to walk into the stage, an empty room, get on the stage, an empty room, empty chairs, and practice your speaking performances, visualizing somebody in the crowd listening to you. Tell us why you started that ritual, what drove you to do there, and what did that turn into? Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't come from a lot of wealth. Everything my father made went to the church. So on one level, we didn't have very much. And so we were kind of poor. And we lived behind my father's church in a tiny little apartment. And it was basically one bedroom. And the downstairs tiny storage room was my bedroom. And so the bed was so small, I could barely fit in the room to get into the bed. And so I would literally sit on my bed. And I had all of these dreams of inspiring people and speaking because I'd been reading four or five self-help books a week at that point at age eight. You know, I was reading Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Marianne Williamson, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay. I mean, these were my heroes as a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. And so I had these visions of doing seminars, you know, and inspiring people. And, and even though I was doing it kind of through the church, I had this idea of doing it through seminars in hotel and auditoriums. And so... My heart was filled with dreams, but my reality was so small. And so what I decided to do one day was I snuck out of the, even if you can call it an apartment, but I snuck out of the little house and snuck into the, my father's church, literally attached to the, to the apartment. The lights were off and there were you know hundreds of cheers. And I would literally just speak and imagine it, everything's pitch black. Here I am, and I'd speak and give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining I was inspiring souls from around the world and seeing faces of people clapping Clapping. and laughing and screaming and shouting and having breakthroughs. And I did this for hours and hours and hours a day, Uh, probably in a week, five, six, six days a week. You know, on Saturdays, I'd give long seminars, just speaking and just making stuff up. I mean, everything I'd read about these concepts of thoughts become reality and creative visualization and positive thinking. I would just kind of come up with my own interpretation of what that meant to me and teach invisible people. And so it really, it's amazing for me because I felt such a desire to inspire a connection to these souls. So when I speak now in front of a hundred, 500, a thousand people, 2000 people, It's very humbling and it feels like such a privilege because I remember the time when I saw these souls and now when I'm in front of people on on a real stage, I feel a connection to the souls and and I look out at the audience and go, wow, this is what they looked like. You know, this is what the reality of the souls looks like. So it's a really humbling experience. But what people don't realize is the level of hours I put in before I really got onto, let's say, big public stages that weren't my father. We're talking thousands of hours of speaking. I want to touch on a couple of things because it's very interesting. You were inspired to inspire 
And you said something, my heart was full of dreams, although my reality was very poor. Something like that. I'm not quoting you verbatim. But what was it in that reality that inspired you to inspire others? Were you running away from reality or were you really meaningfully seeking to serve? It was a combination of things. I was a very sensitive kid. And so I was very in tune with people suffering in certain ways. I would feel a lot of people would come to my, my father has 300 churches, you know, in, in Ghana, West Africa, the church in London at the time was four or 5,000 people. And a lot of people would come to my father that had a lot of, let's say, very difficult, challenging issues and problems. You know, they had gone everywhere. Nothing worked. They came to my father. My father helped them and performed miracles for them. And so I would feel their pain and I'd feel their suffering. And, and yet I got a scholarship to a very prestigious school in London. And their parents were very wealthy. We're talking president's sons and prime minister's kids. And they had every reason to be happy, yet were miserable. And I was around some of the poorest people in the UK, and yet they had every reason to be unhappy and they were fulfilled. And so I really wanted, when I felt the suffering of people, there was a part of me that just wanted to, felt a desire to alleviate the suffering of humanity. I didn't know how, I didn't know what, I didn't know what form that would take, but I just felt this compassion. I felt this calling, you know, it was... It was something that was unexplainable to me. I felt this deep desire to serve people and inspire people in some way. It was always there for me. And that was, that was the impulse. That was the inspiration. I thought it was my destiny. I mean, I had these visions of reaching, inspiring millions of people. And it just didn't make sense, but it was there when I was a kid. Could your father known as a miracle man, did you ever wonder why, as your father known the miracle man, there was so much despair around that? And why was it that, that you perhaps were not living the life of riches that other people, as we see many mega churches across the world do today? Did that ever enter your mind? No, honestly. Did you detach I, from that? I grew up a little different. Like, yes, there's a lot of mega churches today that, you know, they have slick marketing and slick this and, you know, a lot of money. I came from a path of real service, you know, and this is in the 80s. Like, it wasn't about this, there was no social media and it wasn't about the fame and the fortune. For me, the foundation I came from honestly was a pure, my parents had a very pure intention to serve. And I really got to experience growing up, which is a blessing for me. And I think it's something that's inspired me to this day. There was always a clear foremost mission and intention to come from service and that's really what it was about. There was an understanding for my father that my life isn't my life. Our life isn't our life. Our life is in service to humanity. That's something you can't fake. That's something you can't teach. It's just, it's just what was there, you know? And so I see a lot of people going into the self-help field, the coaching field today. You know, they maybe read The Secret uh, or, or, or an inspirational book a couple of years ago and go, oh, I can make some money. And, and I feel a lot of people are going into the field for the wrong reasons, to be famous, to be known, to have a social media following, to make some money. But I really feel that when you are in the business of transforming lives, that is a very sacred calling. That is a very sacred understanding because... It's not just a business like you're selling cars. You are in the business of people entrusting their souls, their challenges, their problems, their pains to you. And, and I think that there's just a sacredness to that that I felt growing up. And it was really, really beautiful. You know, the, the, the intention to serve. And I think people should really go into this field, whether it's as a church, whether it's as a speaker, an author, with the pure intention to serve, not simply what can I get but how can I truly serve? And I really believe when you serve, you're more committed to adding value, more committed to making a difference, more committed to solving problems in a certain sense than just what can I get, what can I extract? And I believe when you serve and you give and you love, it comes back to you. It may not come back to you in the way that you think, the, you know, the, the success, the money, the, may not come back to you from the person you gave it to, but I believe that when you serve, when we serve and we love, we open our hearts. In the openness of our hearts, no matter what happens, we win because we have the experience of opening our hearts. And no one can take away the opening of our hearts in that moment. And when we open our hearts, we develop that muscle. When we open our hearts, we also 
make ourselves available to receiving from people, from life, from the universe at the same level with which we open. And so I'm a big believer in service and that's the foundation. What do you think is the biggest issue with people today lacking happiness? Why do you think that there's so many people suffering across the world and they're so attached to possessions, yet they're so attached to our personal lives, to they're afraid almost of death? Why do you think we think like that? A lacking happiness. Um, you know, I think on some level we are seeking happiness outside of ourselves. You know, we're seeking happiness and we have this, this notion that happiness is outside. If I can get the house, if I can get the car, if I can get the thing, if I can get the that, if I can get the girl, if I can get the Lamborghini, if I can get the billion, million, whatever dollars, then I'm going to finally be happy. And the challenge is many times we have this idea of what we think we want and we go for that. And then when we achieve that, we sometimes realize, is this it? You know, this is not really what I wanted. And so many times we're setting goals. We think that what we think we want is what we think we want, but only based on who we think we are. And so I believe if we're not in touch with who we really are, then we're going to try to get things in the world to try to compensate for certain things within us. And so maybe we weren't loved growing up, for instance. Uh, we weren't uh, valued growing up. We weren't seen growing up. We weren't appreciated growing up. And so perhaps we've, we have this underlying feeling inside of if we're coming from, well, I want, I'm not enough for my father, I'm not enough for my mother, then if I can win that Oscar, if I can build that business, if I can make a gazillion dollars, then I'm going to be enough. And so in many ways, we're seeking to get something outside in many, in many ways to fulfill uh, a deeper need inside. And so I think if we're not aware of that, we're going to be chasing dead end paths to happiness. Happiness for me is an inner experience. And at some point you can get everything that you thought you wanted, but at some point you end up hitting a point of dissatisfaction. You know, and so happiness is an inner experience. And I think that's the real freedom when you realize who you are and what you are. Tell us a little bit about the liberation experience, the program that you did when you um, you actually asked people to detach themselves from the body and to not be afraid of that. Tell us a little bit about that. And how was that born? Yeah, in, in a nutshell, the liberation experience is a 14 day transformational experiential immersion journey. Uh, it's a one-on-one -on -one journey that I started in 2006. I'd been coaching for a long time one-on-one. -on -one. I wanted to create a never-before transformational process that had never existed on the planet, so to speak. And I thought, what would that be? And it's 14 days, transformation. I take away your money. I take away your passport. You have a backpack. You have a pair of clothes. I make you sign your will in case you don't come back. I make you write letters to everyone in your life in case you die and don't see them ever again. I make you face death you know, in so many ways. Uh, and I take you through a 14-day journey to India and throw you into the unknown. And what I do is I create a, a transformational process that is designed to, uh, shall we say, stir up the unresolved patterns that perhaps limit you, uh, inhibit you from being truly free, from being truly yourself, from being truly self-expressed, from, from really being connected to who you are and expressing your, your love and your gifts to the world. And so it's a deep dive, you know, 14 day experience. How it came about is years before I went to India on my own quest in my early twenties and I shaved my head, you know, things kind of stopped. I had a radio show, beautiful girlfriend offered a TV show, everything fell apart. That's the, that's the short version. And I was, I was, I was frustrated with life. And, and I decided that I really want to know what is real happiness. I really want to know what is true fulfillment. Uh, things that I thought were, weren't. And I went on a quest and I said, I'm not coming back to the US. I was living in Los Angeles at the time until I know what real happiness is for myself. I got all these things that I thought were going to make me happy, but I wasn't. And so put everything in storage, shaved my head, packed my bag, took a few thousand dollars and started traveling, ended up in India. I ended up in the poorest state in India. I ended up in the poorest town, one of the poorest towns in India called uh, Bihar, I ended up on the back of a third class section of the train with the poorest people in a sardine can situation. It's 120 degrees outside. The train is going. I'm pressed up against everyone. There was a woman with five children. The head of the kid is hanging out of the train. And I just started to weep. I thought if this kid died right now, nobody would know. 
Nobody would even care. And, and I just felt the suffering, you know, being a sensitive being growing up, I felt the suffering of, of humanity in this moment. And I thought, how is it that we live in a world where we have iPhones, we live in a world where we, we you know, we, we, we have airplanes and we have the internet and we send people to the, to the moon, but we can't feed a child. It just felt like crazy, you know? So I was just crying, feeling just the confusion of life. And I looked in this woman's eyes and this was a six hour train ride. I looked in this woman's eyes halfway through the mother of this child. And I felt this connection. I felt this oneness. I felt what was looking at me was looking at her. And I felt this oneness, no language. We were from different backgrounds, different cultures. And I felt love. You know, I felt like a deep, impersonal sense of unconditional love and interconnectivity between us. And I just had this experience, Peter, of thinking, what would it be like if the president of the United States was on this train right now. How would that transform his life? What would it be like if the head of Google, the head of Nike, the you know, Oprah, the people in leadership positions who had influence and resources were on this train having this heart-opening experience? How would that transform how they use their resource, their platform, their fame, their money, their, you know, their, their influence to truly impact humanity? Then I dropped it. And then in 2006, had a vision to create the liberation experience. And so in many ways, what I do is I put people in situations. We, we think we're free. Oh, we're free. But the moment you take away someone's iPhone, the moment you take away someone's clothes, the moment we take away someone's title, the moment we take away someone's you know, wallet, the moment we take away all these things, we kind of collapse. And so what I really found for myself through my own process was freedom, real freedom is an inner experience. But in so many ways, we have... Uh, attached ourselves and identified with so many things and become allowed ourselves to become dependent on so many things outside of ourselves for a sense of freedom. And so for me, the intention and my work is how do we access that sense and source of freedom of being, freedom within ourselves, dependent on things outside? Everything in the world is transitory. Everything in the world will is, is created and destroyed. Everything in the world is impermanent. So if our sense of being, our sense of freedom is dependent on things outside, fluctuating the stock market, this, that, comings and goings of life and people, so will our mood, so will our joy, so will our happiness. Man, Nelson Mandela, for me, one of the reasons he's my hero and a true leader and a great man is he was put in prison for 27 years. Wow. But I believe he found a dimension of freedom that was not dependent on external factors. This is right. power, not because he was famous, not because he could go outside, not because he, you know, and that is real power within himself. And I think when we access that power within ourselves of knowing who we are and what we are, then we are free no matter what. For me, 2020 was a very profound year, even though challenging year for all of us. But I think 2020 was our Mandela training. 2020 was our Mandela moment where all those things that we have placed our sense of identity, when they get taken away, we get to ask ourselves the question, who am I really? Right. Until we can answer that question, we are often just slaves to our past, to our parents, to our culture, to a religion, to media, to advertising. Until we know who we are, we will be controlled. We are not free. And freedom is true power. The freedom to be ourselves, the freedom to express ourselves, the freedom to love, to me, this is, this is power. And Mandela was a true leader because he accessed that dimension within himself. And that's my work. And that's part of the liberation experience. That was powerful. Very, very powerful. In reality, was it what you discovered in that lady that you thought was in suffering? She was actually more free than you are, than I am. Yeah. Because she was not even aware of the pain that she was experiencing. She was not even aware that her son's action to stick his head out of the train was just part of their everyday life. It was not causing them any pain. Was that perhaps even shattering that you were doing or maybe mirroring yourself? into your own reality? I don't know if it was shadowing or mirroring, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but what I, what I saw for myself was how not free I was. Here I am living in America, yeah. okay? Yeah. Beautiful girlfriend, huh? you know, nice car. And you're uh, gonna run away from it. Nice business, and yet, the moment my girlfriend doesn't call me back, 
The moment yeah. she says no, I collapse. What kind of freedom is that? You know, that's not a true freedom. And so I would invite everyone to really sit with what things in your life are you so identified with? What things in your life are you so attached to? What things in your life do you think define you? So is it your bank account? Is it your body? Is it your looks? Is it your relationship? Is it your car? Sometimes we're defined by our car, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so growing up, I thought I needed to have a really nice car because if I had a nice car, then, then I'm going to be somebody, you know? And, and so there's so many things we're basing our sense of identity and confidence on. But what happens when all of that is taken away? So we really have to investigate. Who am I really, 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 really? Am I my identity? Am I my stories? Am I my thoughts? Am I what my parents said? All of that will change. But there is something at the depth of our being that doesn't change. But most of the time, we don't go there. We, are, we tend to only go there in profound moments of crisis when everything falls apart and we can no longer hold on to everything anymore. And then we have no choice. That's often why people that have been, they've lost everything or been through such depth of low despair and, they, and they've lost everything in some form, shape, or what have you, it's often, not that that's the only way, it's often then that we get to tap into a deeper dimension of ourselves beyond stuff. Why, why do we disconnect ourselves so much from that part of ourselves? Why? Why do we run Okay, with- I'll tell you why we disconnect from the core of our being, okay? Yeah, in fact, to quote you, to quote you, because I was going to go there, you just elaborated one of your quotes said, we become afraid to, to sit still with ourselves. As a result, we disconnect from the deep, intelligent wisdom of the knowing of who we are. Yeah, we disconnect from who we are because we get conditioned. This is the key. We get conditioned and we don't even realize that we are conditioned. This is the challenge. So people think, oh, I have free will. I have free will. The degree to which you're conditioned is the degree to which you don't have free will. You see, here's what happens. When we're born as human beings, like these little babies, right? We're born, we float down from the heavens. We're, you know, you look at a child, a child is free. Talk about free. A child isn't, you know, a, a child is fearless. A child will, will hug Pablo Escobar. A child will hug Mother Teresa. It doesn't care. It's just like full of love, full of expression. A child will jump on the table and sing and dance. It doesn't care if it can't sing like Celine Dion. It's just like, ah, singing. Yeah. But what happens? What happens to that level of being? And it, there's a reason when we look into a child's eyes, we're reminded. You can't look into a baby's eyes and not open your heart. We are reminded of what we were, that level of purity and freedom. Wow. So what the hell happened to us, Peter? What happened to us? You know, age 20, age 30, we get depressed. We've got to take, you got to smoke some, do some drugs, get, I mean, we lost touch with our being. Here's what happens. Two things. We're born into this world. We meet our parents. Our parents, they're kind of crazy. You know, they're doing the best that they can do based on their life and their conditioning and their parents and their generations and what have you. They're unconscious doing the best that they can do. So we're born into this environment or framework or structure, somewhat dysfunctional to a degree as human beings. Maybe there's pain. Maybe there's trauma. Maybe there's abuse. Maybe there's alcoholism, mental health issues. Maybe they just weren't around. Maybe they were they were nice, but they were working all the time. So usually as children, our needs weren't met growing up. For us as children, that can be very painful. Two things happen to answer your question. The first thing is we begin to shut down, disconnect from the pain of our experience of what's going on around us. Maybe mom's an alcoholic. Maybe mom and dad are fighting. Maybe they're not around. And because it's so painful, we learn to shut down, disconnect, and not feel the pain of our environment as young children because it's too much for our nervous system to feel. So we shut down, we suppress, we suppress, we disconnect, we numb our hearts so that we don't have to feel the pain. Yet the thing is, all feelings remain present until fully felt. So year after year, we suppress, we suppress, we suppress, we suppress, we layer our heart, we guard our heart, we erect walls so that we don't have to feel the pain of what's going on around us. And layer upon layer upon layer builds up of unfelt, unprocessed feeling. The second thing is we learn as children unconsciously to go into the world, the sense of maybe we were loud, right? And funny and loud and crazy. That says, shut up. Maybe you were a guy and dad says, and you were crying and dad says, or mom says, you know, someone says, boys don't cry. Yeah. Don't be like a girl. So we learn to shut down parts of ourselves. And here's what happens. We learn to contort 
parts of ourselves into a shape in order to be who we think we need to be in order to get love. And so before you know it, we start to look around. Who do I need to be in order to get dad's love? Who do I need to be in order to get mom's love? And we learn to contort. We learn to develop walls and personas and masks and a way of being that then we kind of become this person, avoid pain, get love, validation, approval as a survival mechanism. It's just simply to survive. And slowly we begin to disconnect from our true essence, disconnect from our full heart capacity to love, disconnect from who we really are to avoid pain and to get love. And we become this person, which is just a conditioned version of ourselves. We become this person. We hold tightly to this. Some of us, we live this way in our teens and our twenties and what have you. And we go through life as this conditioned version of ourselves, Peter, thinking, no, 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 this is who I really am. I'm really, I'm an independent person. I'm a tough guy. I'm a this, but, and we don't realize we've just been conditioned to be this version of ourselves. And we become so conditioned that we think it's who we are, but it's not. And this way of being a persona personality that create is not who we really are. It's just what we've been conditioned to be. But the challenge is it worked for us when we were 15 and 20. But usually it starts to limit the full expression of our being when we're 20s and 30s. And usually in relationships is when it gets exposed. And so we have to start questioning, is who I am, who I really am? Or is it just who I've been conditioned to be? Because we often don't realize we're just living out our conditioning over and over and over again. That's why we attract the same relationships into our life over and over and over again without even realizing it. That's why we attract the same situations and people and dynamics and patterns into our life without even realizing. All lessons are repeated until learned, until we become conscious, alert, and awake. Wow, 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 wow. Knowing that and knowing that the state that the world is in, knowing that there's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of conditioning that has been done. A lot. Yes, yes. So so the reality is that we are living multiple unrealities. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And knowing that, how do we address that issue? I've done a lot of that work. I've done a lot of that. The broken child the personal development work. I often say that we don't have business problems. We have personal problems that we bring into the business. Yes, for sure. You know, I brought in the broken six-year-old, the abused six-year-old into the marriage, into the boardroom, into the meetings, into the partnerships. So I kept building up, sabotaging, building up, sabotaging, okay? Until I was able to go back and embrace that broken boy, bring Mm -hmm. it into adulthood, embrace Mm -hmm. it, let it go, set him free. There's the path right there. You laid it out. (laughs) Then we become functional in our reality. Today. But how do we address that issue? Because I'm very passionate as you are about this topic. Okay. You know, I have a mission to impact 100 million people by December 31st, 2028. Primarily, I want to be able to impact my community because personal development is not something that is talked about in the Latin community. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and there is a lot of that, man, don't cry, you know, don't yes. ask a girl, okay? Yes. How are your feelings? There's a lot of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, alcoholism, drug use, neglect, name it. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I seen that as part of my culture on a daily basis. So as a young person, how do we identify that? and begin to reverse the process so we don't explode as a young adult. Yeah, I think firstly, we just have to firstly, and again, that is a lifelong process, you know, it's a deep process. Uh, But I think firstly, we have to become aware and conscious of the fact that we are conditioned. Can we do that in an environment that is not aware of being aware and conscious? Can we do that as an individual? I I think we can if we're willing to acknowledge that we have been conditioned. Okay. And so for those listening in, just to acknowledge, okay, I've been conditioned because we think we're not conditioned. We're not even aware that we're conditioned. We don't even know that we don't even know. So we're not even conscious. So we have to start becoming aware. Let's say folks listen to this conversation. Oh, it's possible that I'm conditioned, that who I am is not who I really am. And so just that awareness, acceptance, and understanding is a beginning. Then we have to be willing to move to the next step of becoming aware and conscious of our conditioning through observing ourselves. And I think this is what we can do in our daily process, in our daily life, to start becoming conscious and aware and observing ourselves 
moment to moment, almost like a meditation, almost like a yoga, almost like a practice, because in many ways, we're just acting, we're just reacting, and we're not even aware of why we're doing what we're doing. We're not conscious of our motivation. I did that. Why? I don't know. And so if we can step back and witness and, and observe ourselves moment to moment as we act, as we react, as we text, as we respond, then we can start just becoming aware of the patterns because typically what we'll start seeing are patterns and ways of reacting that if we're not aware of, they will run us. If we can start becoming aware of, we can then question and work with, oh, whenever, whenever Peter says that to me, I say that. Whenever my wife says this, I just react you know, with a knee-jerk thing. And if we can start noticing that, then we can become conscious to be able to then investigate, work, heal, shift, feel, and do the deep, deeper inner work that's necessary to shifting it. But I really think that the awareness, the conscious awareness of our patterning is key. And then we can also start becoming aware of our life in general. If there are themes and patterns in your life, situations, reoccurring situations, reoccurring people, dynamics that you keep attracting over and over and over again to start paying attention to that because that is likely showing us where we are not free, where we are conditioned, where we are stuck in some patterning often unconsciously, you know, because as I said, all lessons are repeated until learned. So I think awareness is really a huge first step. Being honest with yourself. Yeah, one of the things we have to be honest with ourselves. One of the ways we keep ourselves stuck are the ways we lie to ourselves. That's that's one thing that keeps Elaborate us Elaborate a little bit more on that. In many ways, we're lying to ourselves. No, 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 I'm not alcoholic. No, 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 I'm fine. No, 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 I'm not sad. No, 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 I'm not angry. No, no, I'm in a relationship. No, it's okay. And so in many ways, we are, li- we are in denial or lying to ourselves about who we are, about what we need, about what our truth is, about what we feel to avoid pain, as we talked about, or to you know, get love, validation, and approval. And so we're constantly, in many ways, betraying parts of ourselves so that we, we can get love, validation, and approval. So I think if we can start feeling and being honest with what is my deepest truth, we lie to ourselves. So what lies am I telling myself? Here's a few questions. What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because many times we play this game of confusion. Mm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if this relationship is right for me. We know deep down, but the ego has a self-protective mechanism to keep us safe in a certain way. And then the third thing is to be willing to feel, what are the lies I'm telling myself costing me? What is it costing me? We tend to sex it away, drink it away, smoke it away, shop it away, work it away, social media it away, like whatever it is so that we don't have to feel the pain of our misalignment, the pain of self-betrayal, the pain of not being true to our souls. And so I actually say, if you feel pain in your life, this is an awareness point, become aware of where you feel pain in your life. Pain might manifest as sadness, anger, depression in some way. Look at where you feel the pain in your life. Don't deny the pain. Don't distract from the pain. Feel the pain. Pain to me is not bad. Pain is a signal. Pain is a gift that some part of you is needing some attention, that there's some part of you that you're not paying attention to, that there's some part of you that, see, pain is just showing you where you may not be aligned or where you might be betraying yourself. And if you're willing to heed the signal of the pain, listen to the signal of the pain, then you can use the pain that you feel as an opportunity to heal. You can use the pain that you feel to investigate and go, where am I not being true? So that pain is a gift. And if we can use it to bring ourselves back into alignment or to bring love to ourselves, that is key. Healing is the application of love to parts of ourselves that are hurting. If we can understand that, healing is the application of love to the parts of ourselves that are hurting. What we've been trained to do as human beings in the cultures, we feel pain, we distract, we deny, or we judge ourselves or we beat ourselves up like I shouldn't be feeling that. But I'm saying if we can learn, you mentioned it earlier, to acknowledge this pain and go, okay, is there something I'm not telling the truth about or is there something within me that is needing my loving? And when we bring love and compassion to the part of us that's hurting, that's how healing happens. 
is this work available for everybody? Can everybody do this? Everybody can do it for sure. I, I, if you're a human being, you can do it. I'm sure maybe, you know, horses and dogs and cats maybe have their own way of healing and their own therapy, right? And, and the lions and the tigers. But every human being, to me, Peter, we incarnate into this human experience. To me, we're souls. We incarnate into this human experience because there's lessons that we need to learn. And every situation, every relationship, every dynamic is an opportunity. Life is a classroom and a university for the evolution of our souls. So wow. to me, the, the whole point of this whole thing called life, I mean, yes, let's be abundant, let's make money, let's create businesses, let's change the world. But the entire point for this whole process called life is for our evolution of our consciousness, the evolution of our souls, and to learn lessons from each other and through the mirror of relationships to grow and evolve. That's the whole point. So is it available? It's available if we're available to it. If we're, wow. It's available if we're willing, if we're open. And people ask me, can people really transform? Peter, over the last 19 years, I've transformed the lives of thousands of people. I've transformed the richest people in the world, lots of folks in Latin America. I mean, you name it, I've worked with them up, down, high, low, black, white, green, orange, straight, gay. I work with everybody. And one thing is key. Transformation is possible, but you have to be committed. People do not transform unless you are committed to the transformation. Sometimes we have a payoff for staying stuck. Sometimes we unconsciously have a payoff for staying the victim. Sometimes we have a payoff for not transforming. We might ask, well, why would that be? Sometimes we're afraid if I really transform and I really shift and if I really heal and if I really become fully magnificent, uh-oh, my relationship is going to have to end. I know my relationship is going to shift. If I really shift, if I really transform, I might have to let go of my dad or my mom because something's not working there. So sometimes we keep ourselves stuck because there is some payoff that we have for staying stuck that we also have to uncover and be honest about. What is the payoff I have for staying stuck and not transforming? I want to dig into that a little bit more because I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you that there is a payoff in our pain many a times, particularly yes. when we become conditioned by our conditions, right? And I'm going to give you an example. I often say that there's a perpetrator there is a victim. Mm. There's a victim that can become a participant consciously or subconsciously. Okay. Mm. And what I mean by that, that victim, there's a gain subconsciously that that victim gates from being a victim. So, exactly. so yes. whether it's a tingly feeling, whether it's codependency, whatever you call it, okay, mm -hmm. uh, whatever you call it, but that victim becomes a participant, mm -hmm. thereby that victim then becoming the next perpetrator. Okay. Mm -hmm, Instead mm -hmm. of going through the process of becoming the victim, the victor, the survivor, okay, mm -hmm. the victorious and the advocate, which is mm -hmm. the categories that I like to see. I come from a from a very dysfunctional background, a background yeah. of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, pedophilia, all kinds of abuses in my house. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I could see how some of those patterns mm -hmm. were being repeated one mm -hmm. generation after another. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. And and I could also see being intelligent enough to understand that sometimes there's confusion, okay, mm -hmm. in some of those behaviors, there's sexual arousal, okay, and I know this is a sensitive conversation, okay, yes. but I think mm -hmm. these are conversations that need to be had because we cannot break cycles in silence. Cycles are not broken in silence. Cycles are only broken when they are spoken and brought to the light. It's so important. So, okay. so secrets, secrets kill. Right. We are we're as sick as our secrets. We are as sick as our secrets. So how are when there is an environment where perpetual dysfunction has been festered? Okay. How do we break that? How do we see the light? I know how I saw it. Okay. But what are some very simple practical things for one to say, this is not right? I know it's my mom, I know it's my dad, I know it's my sister, I know it's my brother, but it's not right, it's not healthy, I need to walk away. How can we begin to yeah, see? Yeah, I, I think the beginning, look, it's, it's delicate, it's hard. Sometimes we're not able to see it in the moment, you know, because yeah. we're so in it. Yeah. And sometimes we're only able to see it afterwards. Sometimes, you know, sadly, 
we have to end up getting sick or that pain manifests as a disease, which is a wake-up call where we finally realize I can no longer suppress this pain. I can no longer lie about what's going on. I can no longer lie. And so sometimes this suppression manifests as dis-ease. It will manifest as dysfunctional relationships that we cycle in over and over again. And we keep, or we keep attracting people in our lives that reflect back to us the pain in ourselves that we're not feeling, or we attract, you know, abusive situations that recreate the dynamic. So sometimes we hit a point of rock bottom and and that's what happens sometimes. And if that's the case, I know it's challenging, but it's a gift. But without having to go to that extreme, I think it's so important that we develop the courage to tell the truth to ourselves. Wow. That's why I think the truth is so important and to be compassionate with ourselves, to be kind to ourselves, but just have the courage to tell the truth to ourselves about what we feel, which is, if it was that on one level, it's simple. On another level, it's not easy because breaking the cycles of generational curses, generational patterns, generational dysfunction, you know, it's not just us. It's the momentum of generations that are, that kind of sometimes bind us. But I do believe But I do believe that every single human being, if you're willing, has the power to break the generational dynamics with courage, with commitment, also with the honesty to get help. Sometimes we think if we tell the truth about this is too much or this is painful, what have you, that we are betraying our family that we're betraying our parents, that we're betraying our generation. But if we don't tell the truth, we're also betraying the generations to come. And I believe that every single person, yeah, we're betraying the generations to come. That you and I and everyone listening in, we can be the ones that shift the generational karma, so to speak. And the greatest gift, talk about generational wealth, legacy, the greatest gift we can give the next generation isn't simply a trust fund with money. That's great. The greatest gift we can give, I believe, the next generation is the legacy of a more evolved consciousness so that our generations, our grandchildren, 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 at some point energetically will look back years back and look at us and go somewhere along the line, my father, my uncle, my grandfather did the healing had the courage to go deep to do the healing. And because of them, I am sane today. Wow. That, that is a, shall we say, that kind of inheritance we pass on is way more than any millions of dollars. That is, that is soul level of evolution. And that is a gift. So I think we have to feel the generations to come to and connect to them, our children that are unborn, our grandchildren that are unborn, and let their souls inspire us to face what we need to face today. We can draw on the strength, not on our ancestors, but also on the precestors, on the children that are unborn. Draw on their strength, knowing I will do this healing work for you. Wow. Powerful words. Is that where the magic of surrender comes in? Uh, <laughs> the magic of surrender comes in on some level. Yeah, we get to surrender in, in a certain way, to the work we have to do. You know, do people, way, what, what do people confuse surrender with giving up instead of Yeah, giving? we have this mis, misconception in our culture today that surrender means giving up, that surrender means waving the white flag, that surrender means being weak, surrender means being a doormat, surrender means being walked over, surrender means you won't get your dreams, surrender means all these, surrender is passive. And really what I'm saying is, what if through surrender, because it's a misconception, What if through surrender, you didn't get less? What if you got more? You see, more than you could imagine, more than you could even visualize, more than you could write in your journal. What if life gave you more when you let go? So here's what I'm saying in terms of surrender. Surrender. You stop the blockage. You stop the blockage. Surrender is when you let go of the idea of who you think you should be. Surrender is when you let go of the idea of the life that you think you should be living, which many times we think we know who we, what we should be doing and the goals and what we, the life that we should be living based on 
the limited conditioned version of ourself that is making the plan, but the limited version of ourself, our ego structure is not able to see the entire fullness of our soul's destiny. So often what we're able to see and the goals we set are going to be based on a very limited perspective of our current level of consciousness and conditioning in this moment. To surrender is to let go of the idea that we're sure and to actually be open. When we let go of the idea of the life that we think we should be living, we, we open ourselves to the infinite possibilities of the universe wow. to move through us. So surrender doesn't mean, oh, surrender. Ah, oh, Peter, we sit on the couch and we do nothing and watch TV. No, surrender means moving. This is a shift. It's a shift in paradigm in the personal growth industry that I'm inviting from personal power to soul power, from individual power to infinite power. It's a shift from asking yourself the question, what do I want? The I, small I, which is the conditioned version, what do I want to feeling a different question? What is it that life, this infinite intelligence of life that has been around for billions and billions of years, you and I, we've been around for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Okay, maybe someone listening has been around for 150 years, okay? The oldest person listening to your podcast. And that's great, but life has been around for billions of years. And so the real question that I invite everyone to ask is, what is it that life wants to express through me? Wow. What is it that life wants to create through me? What is it that life wants to manifest through me? What is the business that life wants to give birth through me? Because if you have a dream or vision, we think our dreams belong to us. I believe our dreams belong to the universe. I, I, and, I agree. And yes. you and I, we are just vessels and vehicles for the fulfillment of those dreams and destiny. Our job is to get ourselves out of the way, to show up, to give 100% and allow ourselves to be used. And what I'm saying is what life can do through you is more than you can do on your own. And when you wow. surrender, you open to life and let life live you. All of the great ones, Peter, talk about truly great ones, great ones that we remember. Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Jesus, Buddha, Oprah, Mandela, Martin Luther King, you know, the great ones. They all came to a point where they had to let go of their limited idea of how they thought their life should be. And they had to let go to allow themselves to be lived by something bigger than themselves. Even Elon Musk, people wouldn't think Elon Musk practices surrender, but here's a guy, PayPal, made all this money, had a vision, a vision that was bigger than himself, probably didn't make sense to himself. Most people, when they make a two, $300 million would be like, I'm just taking this money, I'm gonna keep it and be safe. He's like, you know, I got this vision, I'm gonna spend all of it on Solar City, on Tesla. I mean, talk about taking major, I'm gonna send people to the moon, almost lost everything. That's surrender. He felt a calling to surrender wow. is to listen to the calling of your soul. Look where it led Elon Musk. Wow. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Tell us about your book, The Magic yeah, to Surrender. It is, The Magic of Surrender. And that's everything, you know, The Magic of Surrender. I believe that the next level of your life, we all get to the point where, we're, where as we're evolving, we reach a point where the life that we have created is often too small for what our soul is seeking to become. That point right there can be very scary because we've created success, we've created this thing, but deep down we know we have outgrown our current level. And the next level of your life will require the next level of you. But the next level of your life and the next level of you will require that you let go of the old. Wow. In that moment, we often hold on to the old out of safety, out of comfort, out of familiarity, out of the fear of the unknown. But that is the moment to let go. When we let go of what's not aligned, what's not working, relationships, dynamics, situations, and we clear the space, then we become open and available. And many times we want our relationships, okay? Many times I hear people come to me and say, I want to meet my soulmate. I want to meet my soulmate. But, we stay in a, but we're in a relationship with something toxic right now. But when, when I meet my soulmate, then I'll let this person go. And no, it doesn't work that way. If you want the magic, you've got to surrender what's not aligned and make the space. Holding on to what is not working is simply your affirmation of your lack of trust in the universe. And that is the wow. thing that blocks your blessing. It's not the universe that's blocking us. It's we that's blocking our blessing. And so I would invite everyone to ask themselves, what is it that I'm holding on to that's not serving? Maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a thought form. Maybe it's a story. Look at that and let it go. Make space. Because when you do make space, that's when life can move. And then we, that, when we open, then we're in the, then we're in the flow. You know, we're in the flow. Absolutely. One of the things that's really important to, to move into the flow and move into surrender is giving up the idea that we know. We constantly think that we know and embracing the unknown. I may, I may have wow. said earlier, the degree to which we embrace the unknown is the degree to which we're also free. Freedom is the ability to embrace the unknown. Because in many ways, we limit life because we think we know. We think we know. We think we know what this is. We think we know what this means. We think we know what's going to happen. And we don't. Our ability to know what something is is only based on the level of our consciousness and our ego conditioning based on the past. And so our ability to know something is often limited. And when we, when we hold on to that, we end up limiting life. I'm saying be open, be curious, be available. Because when we're truly open, then we're available to life showing us and allowing life to lead us. And that's really the invitation. If you want the magic, you've got to surrender. That's the equation. If you want more magic, then you've got to surrender more. And that's the invitation. Wow. Powerful words from Mr. Kutlaxon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and where can people find your book? Yeah, thank you, Peter. People can find me at uh, kutlaxon.com. That's one. Uh, the book, Magic of Surrender. Is available right now. You can order it, pre-order it, depending on when you listen. You can go to www.themagicofsurrender.com. And when you get the book, you're going to get a whole bunch of free gifts and videos and meditations and all of that great stuff. Amazon and themagicofsurrender.com. Good. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Coming Clean Podcast. Make sure to join Peter and his next guest on a brand new episode as we continue changing and impacting lives across the world. Share this episode with a friend, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Boy, I had to get it fast. Nah. Get a dash in my position, you would never last. Nah. Real talk, I had to get it